0: My brother and I had some pretty wicked games that we would play together. Uh, some that were more painful than others but one of the games that we would play and and raise your hand in the midst of this if this was one that you uh, played as well I'm thinking it's just my own sadistic um, family that was uh, doing this but we would uh, grab each other's hands and not as a show of affection but we would embrace hands like this and we would set out to squeeze as hard as we possibly could. And we would just, you know, squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. My brother was, uh, still is, three years older than me. And um, a big guy. And he could really squeeze hard. I had a few tricks where I could move around and kind of like arm wrestling. There are a couple of tricks. I'm not going to tell you in case I ever get involved in some arm wrestling with you. Evelyn. (laughs) That, um, that I could do to, uh, you know, keep him from inflicting too much harm. But at some point, it would get so bad that I would have to give in. And you know the word? What's the name of this game? Uncle? uncle? Well, we called it mercy. Because we had a kind of a bad uncle. But um, mercy. And so you would squeeze, and whoever said mercy, the other person would let go. And we honored this, at least most of the time. And I was always the one that was saying, mercy, and He would let go of my hand. And it was then that I truly understood what that word meant and what it means to receive mercy. Today, as we continue in this uh, series, this epiphany series that we've been looking at, uh, we started out on January 11th right after uh, Epiphany on January the 6th and we looked at a sun and what God reveals. By the way, that's the word. what the word epiphany means, doesn't it? It is revelation or it is uncovering or shining the light of Christ upon something. And so we looked at what it means to uh, have the sun revealed to us. But then also a calling. Uh, We looked at Samuel's life. Samuel and Eli having this back and forth where God was calling Samuel and Samuel kept thinking it was Eli and he would get up and go to where Eli was and he finally after the fourth time realized this is God calling. And we have a calling and I hope you have thought about that in this past week of what God has called you to do. Yes, even little you. And that's what we say to ourselves, right? God can't call the little me to do something in this world. But He did. And God reveals to you, if you will listen, what it is that God wants you to do. But then also, uh, today, we're going to look at this word, mercy. But not in the sadistic kind of way where God squeezes us until we say, mercy in a way where we understand what it truly means deep down inside of us and how it is that we can give that out to other people. And so Jonah is a perfect example of mercy. And if you aren't familiar with Jonah... You can look throughout uh, that Pew Bible there, throughout Jonah. It's a a short book, uh, and you can look and see all the different things that were part of Jonah's life. But I think we have an image here. Uh, There we go. And there's one inside of your bulletin that is kind of interesting as well. And it, it really teaches the whole... Um, story. Because back when uh, people were learning this story, there weren't books and certainly literacy uh, illiteracy was a huge problem. And so uh, they could look at stained glass or mosaics, icons, and they could learn uh, a particular Bible story. And Jonah can be summarized uh, pretty easily. But as you look here in this particular painting, you uh, remember probably first and foremost about Jonah that there was a big fish involved. Uh, It was always something we would say, you know, that it was a whale. And I remember when I had to take this class in Hebrew that uh, it was not necessarily a whale. We always just think about a whale. But a big fish is the way that that's translated. Whatever it was, it swallowed up Jonah. And why did it do that? Because Jonah had been called by God, much like Samuel would be. But Jonah had been called by God to go to Nineveh. And he did not want to go to Nineveh. He knew that if he were to go and preach God's word to Nineveh, that God actually might show them mercy. And he didn't like Nineveh. He didn't think that God's plan was for anyone but his own group. So what does he do? He hops on a ship and he goes the complete opposite direction. He goes to Tar- toward Tarshish. So he's as far away as he can get. But out there on the boat, um, God begins to do some things to bring Jonah back, which is a good reminder that you can't run from God, can you? You can't get very far. And so as he's trying to get away, the uh, sailors on the ship begin to realize, you know, we were doing pretty well until this guy got on our boat, so let's throw him overboard and see if things don't get better. So they throw, and I'm summarizing a little bit, uh, they throw Jonah overboard and this big fish comes and swallows Jonah. He's in the belly of this fish for three days. And in the midst of that time, he has a lot of opportunity to think and to pray. And to do something he really wasn't doing much of before. And that was to listen. Not just to hear God, but to listen to what God was saying to him about his purpose in Nineveh. So he decides, okay, it's best for me to get on out of here. And so the whale vomits him out onto the beach, another great Hebrew translation, out onto the beach, and he gets on the beach, and you can see... uh, That's Nineveh, supposed to be Nineveh, back there in the background. And as he is there at Nineveh, he goes to preach to Nineveh that you guys are in big trouble. And they are. They have uh, all kinds of problems and systems of injustice in Nineveh. I remember the veggie tales, the, the sacred veggie tales version of Jonah. Uh, they are called fish slappers, something like that. They slap each other with fish, they are mistreating one another. And so God says, You are going to be in judgment, and you're, there are going to be some serious consequences if you don't stop the evil that you're doing to one another. And so, Jonah goes in with this word to start telling them, and he starts going up and down the streets and preaching and telling everyone that they're going to have to turn their lives around. And they do. Again, these are not God's chosen people, as we think about it in terms of the Hebrew people. Yet God cares for them just as much. And so, they begin to change, and their hearts change, and they repent they are going the opposite way of God, and they turn and they go God's way. And the way they show this is that they put on sackcloth, which I was going to wear today, but I, Jenny didn't iron my sackcloth. Actually, she doesn't iron any of my sackcloth. But, so sackcloth and ashes, and they tear their clothing, and they even do this to the animals, which I think is Amazing. Because they show how all of creation is affected by our sin and our evil. And so everything, men, women, children, senior adults, animals, everybody is showing repentance. It is a communal act to say, God, spare our city. Don't hold us accountable for what we've done. Show us your mercy. And so God does. And one of the most disturbing verses for any fundamentalist is God changed His mind. Read it. It's there. It's there in our verse. God changed His mind. And showed mercy to them. Now Jonah is not happy about it. Which you can see at the end of Jonah. Uh, he, even though he participates with God in all this mercy. Uh, at the end of it. He's basically just wanting to die. He, doesn't, he, he is so upset with God because God is so graceful and so merciful, and he realizes that God has spared Nineveh, at least for now. And uh, so he goes up there and he's upset about this. He's not wanting to show that mercy anymore. And it's interesting, and maybe uh, seems pretty normal to us, that even after he received mercy, after being thrown off that ship, and God still delivered him and he helps deliver other people, then he goes right back to his old behavior and is really not showing the mercy that God wants him to show. There is so much in this story of Jonah that reminds us of ourselves, doesn't it? And what we see is that God continues to reveal what God is really like. And that is mercy. And that is something for us to see today as well, isn't it? Aren't we to see what mercy God is revealing all around us? If you think about it, it comes down to what we just celebrated. It really begins with that, with Jesus. That. As Jesus was born into the world, and as we noted that and we uh, celebrated that on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and as we continued to think about it in those Sundays after Christmas, of how God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son into our world. And as Jesus is described in that first chapter of John, as we talked about um, the incarnation of Christ, there was this light that came into the world. God turned on the lights. God dispelled the darkness and showed what God was really all about. God's love was there in the manger. So it wasn't just that God did something special on one particular night. As we looked at here recently, Jesus was baptized. And so we progress pretty quickly through the Gospels, going from birth to baptism. But we see Jesus getting baptized. Uh, He is an adult at this point. He's getting ready to begin His ministry in the world. He understands more and more of what God has called Him to do in this world. And so God, right there in in the Jordan River, reveals... There's this great epiphany as Jesus looks up and as the people there witnessing the baptism are experiencing the mercy of God where God says, This is my Son. He is my Beloved. And with Him I am well pleased. In other words, listen to Him. Follow Him. This is mercy right here in the Jordan River. Jesus would leave the Jordan River. He would go about doing great things. And we, uh, as we heard in our text this past Sunday, in our gospel text, in our text today, Jesus calls the fishermen uh, to come and to follow Him. He starts calling people to join His movement of mercy in the world. And so, He calls them to come, which is an act of mercy. These guys were terrible fishermen. They couldn't catch anything. Jesus said, you will come and catch people. Come and follow Me. And so they did. And so we see more mercy that is revealed there. But then you look at all the other things that Jesus did for people. What about the blind people that Jesus would go? Like the the man who was born blind and Jesus touches his eyes and he, he heals him. He's able to see. He's able to give this great testimony. And, you know, all the snobby religious people come up to him and say, Okay, you weren't really blind, were you? Or, what did this guy do to you? And, you know, he just says, look, I don't know. I don't really know much about Him, but one thing I do know, once I was blind, but now I see. Mercy. God gave Him mercy through Jesus Christ. And then we can look and see later of how Jesus shows mercy as He is beaten. As he is arrested and there is this uh, crazy trial that goes on and and he's being accused of all kinds of things, basically the religious leaders are wanting to get rid of him. The Roman government is just happy to get rid of him as well because he is a threat to both systems in his world. He is calling out people all around him, even his own uh, religious tribe. He's calling them out saying, you guys have missed the point. And so He's a threat to everybody. And yet, in the midst of all of the uh, things that are being done to Him, being spat upon and beaten, made to carry His own cross, bear His own burden and the burdens of the whole world, what does He do? Does He retaliate? Does He call for armed guards to come and to rescue Him? Does He do any of that? No. What does He say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus shows mercy. He reveals mercy, this mercy of God, in such a clear, precise, graphic kind of way. And as He dies upon the cross, He shows it in the ultimate sense. Mercy for us all. And we are to respond to that, aren't we? God doesn't ever force His mercy on anyone. He didn't force it on Nineveh. I mean, He picks this shady guy named Jonah to go over and to to share this message. Another example of how God calls crazy people to preach. And to... Hey, wait a minute. And to do things for God. And God will work somehow through the humanity and the frailty and the sinfulness of that particular person to bring about great things. And that's what happens with us when we respond to God's mercy. God not only helps us to experience mercy in our lives, but helps us to share it as well. And I wondered this morning, where is it in your life that you need to experience this mercy of God? In what ways have you been running to Tarshish? In what ways have you gone the opposite direction God wants you to go? And you could readily admit, I know what God wants me to do but I don't believe in it. I know God is a God of mercy, but right now I'm all about a God of wrath. And I don't want to follow in God's way. But maybe it's another area of your life. Maybe it's something you just haven't been willing to give up, that God's calling you to give up. Or maybe it's something you're to take on and you're not willing to take it on. Whatever it is, God has plenty of mercy to show us in our lives. But it involves our participation. God said to Nineveh, you've messed up. You are destroying each other. And I'm going to hold you accountable for this unless you turn away from it. And that's where our participation is involved. That we are to repent. Yesterday in the... uh, In Baton Rouge, there was a a revival uh, meeting that was being led by uh, Governor Jindal. And uh, I'm not sure what that was all about. I I did not attend. I don't even think I was invited. But uh, there was another rally going on in the city as well led by uh, Theron Jackson and some others here in our, in our city, uh, quite a few missionary Baptist pastors and others who were trying to get the message out that, uh, well, that's great. Revival is great, but it's not real revival until it takes action until we are dealing with our racial issues, until we are dealing with the sins of our society, until we're dealing with all of the problems that we've created in our world, until we turn from those things, we can talk about revival all day long. But it doesn't mean anything. Show mercy. Experience mercy. That's what God intends for us to know about revival. So as you think about this in your own life and how it is that you can respond to it, let me just suggest one thing today. And that is that you would go and show it to someone else. Jesus says, go to the least of these and and show them mercy. Who are the least of these? The ones that He mentions in that story that He tells would be the uh, poor, the oppressed The people who uh, have been kicked and shunned, the people who have uh, problems in life, the people who have been forgotten. You go to those people and you show them mercy. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This was a part of His great Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. There's something that goes along with receiving mercy. It's showing mercy. Who is it that God wants you to show that to today? Again, begin with the least of these. We have great opportunities to do that right here, Church for the Highlands. You you can't miss them. They're just all around us. We have uh, summarized them into four key missional ministries. We relate to the veterans at the Veterans Transitional Center as they... um, are coming back from uh, from war, deployment, as they are coming back from some difficult situations, so many of them dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. If you've been to see American Sniper, um, you can get a feel for what goes on in their lives. If you haven't seen it, I, I t- recommend it, if you're 17 and over, to uh, to go see that. Get a feel for what's going on with these guys down the street. The things that they see, the things that they do, the things that are done unto them. We care for them. We show them mercy. The same thing would be true with our Lighthouse program. Uh, one thing that uh, Ms. Lovelace does each and every day up here at the Highland Center is show a ministry of mercy to people who come in who are dealing, uh, struggling with their schoolwork and in need of tutoring and mentoring and love and compassion. The Lighthouse distributes mercy each and every afternoon to children who need it. But then there is also Highland Blessing Dinner and Highland Center Ministries. Just this past Thursday night, we served, uh, even on a rainy night, uh, a gem full of people. We served them, I think it was uh, beans, but it was actually mercy. We showed mercy to people who have very little to eat at home. But we also show mercy. In the other area that I cannot think about right now, I can't remember, Visions of Hope. We <laughs> can remember one of the four. Visions of Hope. Each and every week we show mercy to people in our community who have the, the most severe mental illnesses uh, right here at the Highland Center through Volunteers of America. We show them mercy because really no one else in society tends to show them the mercy that they need. And so there's so many ways. And I encourage you to get involved in one of those teams to show that mercy. But also to show mercy to your enemies. That's where it gets harder. Think about the people who were beating and um, berating and putting a crown of thorns upon Jesus. Think about the mercy that He showed. What about your neighbors? Maybe your neighbors are your enemies, I don't know. But in what ways can you distribute God's mercy to the people who live around you? And this begins in your own home, with your children, with your parents. And so children, uh, show mercy to your parents. That's biblical, by the way. Honor them. To people in your extended family, the people who are sometimes the hardest to show mercy to, how is it that you could show mercy to them? Jenny and I went to see uh, the movie Unbroken the other night, and um, this is a spoiler alert, and and I'll give a spoiler because uh, it is... um, a story that's already been told. You've probably heard about it, and I don't think I'll ruin it by telling it to you. But it is the the true story of Louis Zamperini, who just died this past year, I believe at the age of 97. And as you read in the book, uh, which was written by Laura Hillebrand, um, or if you see in the movie, which was written and produced by Angelina Jolie, uh, it tells a story about uh, Louis going from um, just... A very rebellious childhood to uh, the point where his brother takes him under his wing and teaches him about running track because he has all this pin up energy and he's obviously very fast and has endurance and so he joins the track team and his brother works with him and trains him and teaches him some key life lessons during those years that he would later use as he would go into uh, the military and go into World War II and as he was and I'm summarizing a lot of his 97 years here, as he would go into um, a rescue mission, uh, he and some of his, I think, 11 or 12 others in his outfit to go and rescue some people um, just not too far off of Oahu. As they were out there, their plane um, crashes, goes down, and there are three who survive. And so for about two months, these three are uh, just floating out on rafts, trying to defend themselves against against the sun, against starvation, um, against the sharks that swim around their boats. Two of them survive, Louis and uh, one of the other guys, the pilot, and then another one doesn't make it to that point. As soon as they're rescued, uh, and you can just see this ominous or the music starts and you see this shadow that's coming over them as uh, they are being rescued and Louis who is kind of the funny one I think in true life as well he looks up and he says there's some good news and some bad news the good news is we're rescued the bad news is that they're Japanese rescuing us so they are taken to a prisoner of war camp and if you know anything about the Japanese war camps uh, most of them were extremely brutal even more so than the German Death camps. And so, as Louis uh, is there, uh, he is singled out because he is, oh, by the way, an Olympic champion um, and he was uh, uh, able to, to run the Olympics and compete in that way. And so, he is singled out once they find out that he is an Olympic champion and because he has this strong will. And so they continue to try to break him. And one particular guy, uh, I believe his name is uh, Mitsui Watanabe, and they called him Bird. I'm not sure that they even knew why they called him Bird, but he was brutal, extremely brutal, especially to Zamperini. And uh, he would take him and uh, beat him, really, uh, most of the time for no reason at all, to try to break his will. Zamperini continues to endure in the midst of all of this. And he remembers uh, the things that he learned in his faith. And he begins to reflect on his faith. And later in his life, even though he is uh, just brutalized in this camp, all the way until the end of the war, As he continues to live his life, he is haunted daily by the things that he experienced in that camp, especially this uh, bird man that would come after him and beat him. And so as uh, the, the war is over and he goes back home, he tries to get back to his daily life. Uh, he begins to go through times of bitterness and rage. He imagines himself strangling all of the guards that would do all these things to him. And as uh, later in life, and you can see him pretty much in recent years, he was able to go back to Tokyo. In fact, he was able to participate in carrying the Olympic torch in Tokyo, just real close to the city where he was imprisoned as a, as a uh, prisoner of war. And so while he was there, he went and, and sought out some of the people that uh, were the prison guards at that camp. Many of them were in prison themselves because of what they did. And so he would go and visit them. By the way, he had uh, become a Christian a Billy Graham crusade earlier in his life. And that's where he started to learn about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so he wanted to forgive his, uh, his captors. And he even sought out Bird. He did everything he could after finding out that he was alive. I think he was an insurance salesman there in Tokyo. He sought him out. But bird refused to meet with him. But he wanted him to know that he was forgiven. He wanted him to have mercy. I think that's an incredible story of grace, of endurance, of love. It reminds us of God's revelation to us in Jesus Christ that we too can have mercy. Enough mercy to show to other people. Enough for you to take from this place today and to change the world. Let's pray.